I want to invite you to turn in God's Word with me this morning to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 27. A few weeks ago, we began a very short study on the topic of financial stewardship. This will conclude that study this morning. Next week, we will uh, jump back into the Gospel of John, chapter 12. And then the next week will be Easter. So we'll be out of John for one more week, and then, Lord willing, we'll be in John for many, many months to come. Last week, we constructed what I refer to as a personal theology of financial stewardship. And here is what we learned in short. Three very important principles that, number one, God owns everything. He owns it all. Number two, that God delegates his resources uh, to his people, and he charges us to be good stewards. And then finally, we learn that good stewards have the kingdom of God as their ultimate priority in mind. As we conclude our study on financial stewardship today, I want to move one step further by looking at the privilege of tithing. The privilege of tithing. I've entitled the message, A Biblical Primer on Tithing. I have found over the years that there's a great deal of misunderstanding concerning the matter of tithing. Lord willing, we will clear up some of those concerns today. Before we begin, it would be a good idea for us to take a look at a few statistics um, that I think will enlighten you and also discourage you in some senses. You might say, uh, as we look at these statistics, now wait a minute, Pastor, the researchers didn't look at my checkbook. Well, I want to have you look at the checkbook of a typical person that would surface around the world and have you understand that in the country of Kenya, if you live in Kenya, and these are these figures are in American dollars, USD, that you will earn approximately $61 a month. $61 a month. I'm kind of curious, just for fun. How many of you paid more than $61 for your heating bill alone last month? That kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Can you $61 a month. In China, where the Shibes just returned from, the average income is $851 per month. In India, $714 a month. You might think about what the average income is for the typical American. I'm going to give you about three seconds to surface that figure in your mind. What do you think the average American makes? The most recent statistic I could find that in America, the average American makes $4,283 a month. That's a little bit different than 61 or 851 or 714. Additionally, it might uh, interest you to learn that in Whatcom County, in Whatcom County, the average person earns approximately $4,333 per month. And so I think based on this statistic and based on what you know about the economy, it would be safe to say that we as Americans live in a very wealthy nation. 
Yet when we consider the treasures that have been given to us by a sovereign God, we are faced with a daunting question. And that is, have we, who have been given so much, have we exercised good stewardship? And I believe that the statistics would seem to indicate otherwise. To counteract this problem, and it's a big problem, I want to provide some basic instructions that concerns the good gifts, the treasures, the the finances, the things that God has blessed us with and present that to you. And in order to do that, I want to present it in an Old Testament context, which will help us discover the biblical basis for tithing. Now, the work we accomplish today will be similar, as I shared three weeks ago, to building a house. Of course, we learn that every house has a solid foundation. And the same holds true when we approach the matter of tithing or treasures. And so, as we begin to construct this house, don't uh, uh, run ahead of us and be tempted to to paint the walls or or put up any uh, p- paint trim or to install the roof because we need to first lay the foundation in place. Lord willing, the foundation has in part been placed uh, before us over the last few weeks. We want to continue that process today. Look at Leviticus chapter 27 verse 30 with me. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. This morning, my prayer is that this message would be, as I pray each week, a a biblical message. I pray that God would enable me to have a tone that is uh, compassionate, a tone that is gentle, a tone that is pastoral, but also a tone that is bold. One person said many years ago that the job of the shepherd is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And so today there might be a lot of the latter, afflicting the comfortable. I pray that God would, by his spirit, he would use it to challenge you, to convict you. If you have found yourself in a position where you have squandered or misused the treasures that God has sovereignly given to you. Father, as we conclude the study this morning, I pray that you would give us great insight into your word. God, I pray that we would be on the same page together, that we would be united as we march forward as a church family. I thank you for all that has been accomplished in uh, previous days. I thank you for the Christian growth that is taking place. I thank you for the exciting things that are happening in the ministry action teams. God, I pray that you continue to bless this church family. And as we think about uh, the very important area of financial stewardship, May we have a desire to obey you, God. May we have a desire to submit to you. So I pray that by your spirit that you would unfold your word to us so that we would not only understand it, but that we would also embrace it. We trust you to do this great work here in our midst today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to begin by addressing this question that has um, really... We got the, the the ball rolling in Leviticus chapter 27, but the question is, what is a tithe? What is a tithe? And we see once again, as Leviticus 27 tells us, that every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is 
the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Pay close attention to that word, tithe. The word tithe comes from a a little Hebrew word that means a tenth part. That probably comes as no surprise to you. A tenth part, or you would say it in our culture, uh, 10%. The tithe is a 10%, which in the Old Testament economy would include both produce and livestock. In an agrarian culture, it would be a a very simple proposition to to unfold this reality of the tithe that includes both the produce and livestock. In Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 39, we read this, For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as to the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. What is important for our understanding today is to realize that the tithe was part of the Mosaic law that was introduced actually prior to the days of Moses. So in Genesis chapter 14, verses 19 and 20, we read, And God blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram, who would later have his name changed to Abraham, gave him how much? A tenth of everything. A tenth of everything. And so the Old Testament tithe, you see, was a sacred duty. We need to etch that into our minds and onto our hearts. It was a sacred duty. It was indeed an obligation. But I want to go further than, than, than looking at the duty or the obligation because it's easy in the Christian life. And if you're like me, you've experienced this before. You do things out of duty. You do things out of obligation. There, it would not surprise me at all if we uh, sent an usher around to ask questions of each of you to ask, how many of you are here out of duty because good Christians go to church on Sunday morning, right? Sometimes we come to church out of duty. Sometimes we make a meal out of duty. Sometimes we minister to another person out of duty. Tithing, you see, was in fact a sacred duty. It was an obligation. But even more than that, it gave the Israelite, it gave the Israelite an opportunity to joyfully obey the living God. And as I began to to surface the principles in this study, I remember being struck with the notion of joyfully obeying God. And there's a a very unique challenge there for us that as we give to the work of the ministry, as we give to further the kingdom of God, that as we write the check, that as as we put that offering in the offering plate, or in our case, the offering bag, or as we think about the, the days ahead, the possibilities of even online giving or, or giving on an app. That however we give, that we do it all to the glory of God. And if we do it all to the glory of God, we do it joyfully. It's not only sacrificial, but it is also joyful. The tithe was a way for Israel to show gratitude to God for all that God had done for them as a nation and to remind them 
to remind them that he indeed was and is the supreme giver. It also reminded the Israelites, and it reminds us as well, that we can never outgive God. We can never outgive God. It doesn't matter how much money we have, we can never outgive God because every penny we give back was sovereignly granted to us. It was gifted to us from our loving God. What we find is an eagerness. We find an eagerness among the Israelites to bring their tithes before the Lord. You know, I see this, I was going to say from time to time, I see this often with children. As you see a a mom and a dad helping a, a child, helping a young person understand what it means to give sacrificially and give joyfully. Have you seen this? Where you see little kids putting putting their tithe, putting their, their offering in the offering bag, and they are excited. My question is, what happens from the age of four to the age of 40? Where did the joy go? Because the, the act of, of giving to further the kingdom of God should be an act not only of worship, but of profound joy and delight. The Old Testament tithe, I want you to see, belong to the Lord. We began to unpack this last week, that everything belongs to God. And if everything belongs to God, that means the tithe also belongs to God. Notice again in verse 30, that every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, notice, is the Lord's. You see, God, as we learned last week, created all things. The book of Hebrews chapter 1 says that he not only created all things, but he governs all things, and he, in fact, is sovereign over all things. Psalm 50 verse 10 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. The great Dutch statesman Abraham Kuyper many, many years ago, stated that in so many words that God is sovereign over all things, over all people, over all nations. There is not one thing that he does not look at, that he does not declare is mine. God owns it all. Psalm 50, 11, I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. Verse 12, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Last week, we looked at Psalm chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, where the psalmist says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. And it's very easy as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to to admit, to confess that God created all things, that God owns all things, yet... Yet, many times we speak out of both sides of our mouth, do we not? We confess that he created all, we confess that he owns all, we confess that he is sovereign over all things, but we subtly or brazenly have a sense of entitlement. Where we say, God, it's my house, it's my boat, it's my car, it's my children, it's my money. Those are my investments. We embrace the lie of humanism that says it's all about me. First Corinthians tells us this, you are not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. 
Your treasures, simply put, do not belong to you. Our treasures don't belong to us. These are God's gifts that he has graciously given us in a stewardship arrangement. I believe that Israel understood this very clearly. You know, there is a lot that we can criticize Israel for. It it always strikes me that when we criticize Israel, have you raised your hand if you've ever criticized Israel? Like, how, how could they do that? It's three of you. Great. What are the rest of you doing? <laughs> how about the golden calf? You're like, Aaron, for crying out loud, what is your problem? Have you ever done that? Yet, I find that when I get critical of Israel for their disobedience to God, there's usually a mirror very close by. <laughs> and I see my face and I remind myself that Like Israel struggled in the area of obedience, so also do I, so also do Christ's followers. Israel in this area understood very clearly that God was the the originator of all of their treasures, that God entrusted treasures to them, that they were to be good stewards of the treasures that God entrusted into their care. I want to have you look in a little bit more detail this morning at three specific tithes that were uh, for Israel in specific. Three tithes for Israel. The first tithe is found in Numbers chapter 18, and we're not going to spend a great deal of time on these this morning, but I want you to see them very quickly to see the the depth of the sacrifice that was involved under the the days of the Old Testament economy. Numbers chapter 18, beginning in verse 21. Numbers 18, 21. To the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance, in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting, so that the people of Israel do not come near the tent of meeting, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall do the service of the tent of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout all your generations, and among the people of Israel shall have no inheritance. For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore, I have said of them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. Verse 25. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Moreover, you shall speak and say to the Levites, When you take from the people of Israel the tithe that I have given you from them, and for your inheritance, then you shall present a contribution from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. And your contribution shall be counted to you as though it were a grain of the threshing floor and as the fullness of the winepress. So you shall also present a contribution to the Lord from all your tithes, which you receive from the people of Israel. And from it you shall give the, give the Lord's contribution to Aaron the priest. Out of all the gifts to you, you shall present every contribution due to the Lord from each its best part is to be dedicated. I want you to see here that there very specifically was a tithe that was distributed to the priests and to the Levites. A tithe that was distributed both to the priests and to the Levites. But there was a second tithe 
specifically designed for Israel, and that tithe surfaces in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 14, if you would turn there with me. Deuteronomy chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. And what we'll find here is that there is a tithe that helps support a sacred festival. A sacred festival. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. This was a tithe specifically for the Israelite that helped support a sacred festival. Third, I want you to look uh, also in Deuteronomy 14, uh, verses 28 and 29. And here we see that a tithe was specifically designated to be distributed to widows, to orphans, and the poor. Verse 28 and 29. At the end of every three years, at the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your town shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work that your hands will do. Now, I am not a mathematician, and I I do not have great skill in the area of, of adding numbers up. And so I have enlisted the help of those who are more skilled than I am. You need to understand this, because I, I hear from time to time, 10% for crying out loud. That, that's a lot of money. That is to say, if I make $100,000 a year, that 10000 at least should go to the kingdom of God. I don't know if this will help you, but in the Old Testament economy, the total annual tithe was 23%. 23%, which I know the difference between 23 and 10. That's quite a bit less. And so we see that the Israelites were in this position where they knew that it was a duty. They knew that it was an obligation. It involved sacrifice But the Israelite would bring the tithe joyfully before the living God. I want to address the issue now of how much. We've looked at it in brief, but how much should I tithe? Is it a matter of of quantity or quality? Uh, Keith Cox and I have, have read back and forth over probably not only the last several weeks, Keith, but months and maybe even years, uh, and have received great help from Randy Alcorn. I think I mentioned him last week. If you're ever looking to learn more about financial stewardship, uh, I highly recommend the writing of Randy Alcorn. His massive work, uh, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, is a huge, huge help. Here's what Mr. Alcorn says. And we'll come back to this again at the end of the message because it's so instructive. He says this, Tithe denoted the amount of the offering. 
first fruits designated the nature of the offering. Once again, the tithe denoted the amount of the offering. First fruits designated the nature of the offering, unquote. And so I want to take a minute to, to look at this idea of first fruits and have you turn with me to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3. And in Proverbs chapter 3, we get really a, a bird's eye view at this idea of first fruits. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. We'll read the verse and then articulate it with a bit more precision. Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord. That is, glorify the Lord. That is, worship the Lord. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. I want you to see that the scripture is abundantly clear about the nature of the offering. That's what Alcorn describes the nature of the offering that God expected from Israel. In Leviticus 19, verses 23 to 25, we read these words. When you come into the land and plant any kind of tree or food, I should say tree for food, then you should regard its fruit as forbidden. Three years it should be forbidden to you. It must not be eaten. And in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat of its fruit to increase its yield for you. I am the Lord. And then back in Exodus chapter 23, verse 16, we learn more about this notion of the first fruits. You shall keep the feast of harvest of the first fruits of your labor of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. And then finally, in Numbers chapter 18, verse 12, the Bible says, All the best of the oil and all the best of the wine and of the grain, the first fruits of what they give to the Lord, I give to you. You see, the giving of first fruits spoke a, a loud and clear message. It spoke volumes about the worshiper that brought his or her gift to the living God. Alcorn says it like this. We give our first and best to you, Lord. I want you to think about that. I want you to meditate on that and ask, is that me? Do I say, God, oh, sovereign God of the universe, I come to you. I lay my offering before you. It's the best of what I got. I give you the good stuff and I do it not only dutifully and sacrificially. And I'm going to say this in American vernacular. I really get a kick out of it. It, it brings me great joy to bring my gift to you. Alcorn continues. He says, we bring our first and our best to you, Lord, because we recognize that all good things come from you. In doing so, we recognize our responsibility to sustain the spiritual leadership provided for us. I want to close by having you turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel. To the book of 1 Samuel. And I have, for many years, been fascinated for other reasons, actually, about a man by the name of Eli. 
If you have the ESV, you will see that about the middle of chapter 2, the translators have labeled Eli's sons as Eli's worthless sons. How many of you would like to be in sacred scripture and be referred to as a worthless son? Well, the Bible tells this story about this man by the name of Eli who had these two worthless sons, and their names were Hophni and Phinehas. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3 tells us that they were priests of the Lord. They were, as chapter 2 argues, worthless men. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12 says this, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. And so when I say that the translators designated them as worthless men, this is not outside the scope of biblical authority. The authoritative scripture says these guys were worthless. Why? They did not know the Lord. The Bible says that they approached God irreverently. There's a lesson there for us. Do we come to the living God with reverence or irreverence? Now read with me as the story unfolds. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was still boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. And he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, Before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Simply put, what these two worthless men did is they, in their hearts, they refused to give of the first fruits. And what did they do? They gave the leftovers. They gave the scraps. They gave the residue. Once again, verse 17, thus the sin of the young man was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Not too many days ago, one of my personal heroes went to be with the Lord. And I know he's many at Christ Fellowship. He's among heroes for you as well. Jerry Bridges died and went to be with his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there, I, I, I could probably preach sermons on what this man has done for me through his writings. But one of the things that strikes me as I read this passage is Jerry Bridges is is numbered among the men in my life who have taught me to fear the living God. These two worthless guys, they didn't fear God. They gave God the scraps. They gave God the leftovers. Randy Alcorn says, giving back to the Lord 
what was rightfully his. And I want to stop there just for a minute because it's important that we turn our attention to what we learned last week. God's the creator of all. God owns it all. He owns everything. And so when Alcorn says giving back to the Lord what was rightfully his was a thermometer of faith. That was a thermometer of faith. It's a strange thing. There there are many ways that we can gauge how we're doing in the area of sanctification. Are we battling sin? Are we reading the word? Are we spending time in prayer? Are we faithful in service? Men, do you love your wife? I almost said wives. Do you love your wife as Christ loves the church? Children, are you obeying your parents? Wives, are you submitting to the leadership of your husband? Christ Fellowship, are you submitting to the leadership at Christ Fellowship? But most important, are we submitting to God Almighty? Those are many different different gauges that we can determine how we're doing in the area of sanctification. But this gauge that Alcorn raises, I think, is very instructive. That giving back to the Lord... What was rightfully his was a thermometer of faith. It gauges how we're doing. That is to say, if I wrestle, if I struggle, if I say, God, it's my money and I'll give to you when I please. Then what Alcorn tells us is the thermometer is exceedingly low. And what the Spirit of God, I believe, is trying to tell us as a church is the thermometer needs to get more red. It needs to get more hot. And that mercury needs to rise. And we need to learn the joy and the pleasure and the delight of sacrificial giving. You remember, I I quote John Piper often. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Apply that to our treasures, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. If I write a check to further the kingdom of God and I write it begrudgingly or with a bitter heart or with a spirit that says, my parents said I should do it. My pastor says I should do it. The word of God tells me I should do it. So I guess I'll do it. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him at that moment i am not satisfied in him i'm doing it with drudgery i am doing it doing it out of pure duty well alcorn continues he says this when israel slid spiritually they ceased to give as they should When Israel slid spiritually, they ceased to give as they should. When they ceased to give as they should, they slid spiritually. And so what does this mean to me? What does this mean to Christ fellowship? The question that surfaces is, are you in the habit of regularly giving to the work of the ministry? to helping to further the kingdom of God. And I, I can hear like, like a good attorney always anticipates the objection ahead of time. And so I'll play that role of an attorney for a moment, and I'll anticipate the objection. Pastor, that was the Old Testament. You don't understand. We now live in the age of grace. My response will go something like this. Then don't you think under the terms of grace, we would be even more generous? 
Instead of saying, oh, that was the Old Testament economy, don't you think we would say, now that we see the gospel in a fuller way than the Old Testament saints did, we are looking back on the cross. They were anticipating the cross. Wouldn't that prompt us to give sacrificially and joyfully, filled with delight? Is it possible that we can learn some principles Principles of tithing from the Old Testament economy, I believe that the answer is a resounding yes. God has entrusted treasures to our care. He expects us to be good stewards. If you remember nothing else in the last three weeks, that that would be my anticipation that you would remember that reality, that principle that God, the God who owns everything, he has given us treasures and he expects us to be good stewards of that treasure. If you're among the people of God who have faithfully given back the treasures that God has given to you, as I've shared in recent weeks, my challenge to you, keep up the good work. Keep doing it. Do it dutifully. Do it joyfully. Do it with great delight and do it faithfully. Keep it up. But if you have not been in the habit of giving, and the statistics show that at Christ Fellowship we have, we have many who are not in the habit of giving on a regular basis. And I would say this, that some of that is because of our leadership, which begins with me. And so we have a responsibility to teach the word in season and out of season, the whole counsel of God's word. And those of you that know me well know that, as I shared last week, this is not the first thing I want to preach on. But it is something that I stand before God as, as one who wants to be faithful before God and deliver a faithful message. And so if you are here and you are not in the habit of regular giving, that you have not given of the treasures that God has given you, my challenge to you would be this, to begin to give of your first fruits. Remember, as Alcorn said, the tithe denoted the amount of the offering, the first fruits, the nature of the offering. So often, I believe, as the body of Christ, we have neglected this first fruits principle. I had a professor in seminary. He was a, a Chinese man, one of the funniest guys I've ever met. I remember in one of his preaching classes, he would have us as students come and stand before the class. And to get us comfortable sharing narrative, he would say this. He would say, Steele, you're on with a Noah in the ark. Get up there. So I'd get up there before all my classmates and I'd say, well, Noah, and he, he had a metal um, uh, dustpan with a hammer. And I'd get up and I'd say, well, Noah, and I'd pause and he'd go, bling, you're out. Joe, come on up. Noah in the ark. The guy was an absolute crack up. <laughs> but one of the things that Dr. Fong taught us is this. In the preaching ministry, we need to climb the ladder of abstraction. Climb the ladder of abstraction. That means nothing to you. Let me explain it. When I say that we have neglected the first fruits principle, Dr. Fong would say, you're at the very bottom rung. So he'd say, steal, climb the ladder of abstraction and show the people of God what it looks like to neglect that first fruits principle. So let me do that for you. And I'm going to climb as high as I can get on the ladder to make this very practical and relevant to see how we have neglected the first fruits principle. I want you to imagine with me that you just got paid. 
You got your check, and like a, a good uh, person in postmodern culture, you don't take it to the bank. You take a picture of it and send it electronically. How many of you do that? Isn't that cool? That's just the coolest. So you, Patty, you and I are the only ones that do it? Anyone else? Oh, you should really start doing it. It's great. Saves all the time and all the rest, gas money. So you deposit your check electronically. It's XYZ amount. And there it is. You have the money. What it means to neglect the first fruits principle is this. We deposit our check. The first check we write is to pay the rent or pay the mortgage. The second check we write is to pay uh, our car payment. And then we pay the heating bill and we pay the light bill. And then we pay uh, the, the person that might help fix up your yard. And then you, you pay some of the other debts that you have. And then you, you pay uh, the hospital and you pay the doctor and you pay your attorney. If you're paying your doctor and your attorney, that's probably not good. But uh, you paid all these things, right? And you get to the end and you say, you scratch your bald head and say, wow, I've got $6 left. <sighs> Christ Fellowship, $6, David S. Steele. That's all I got, God. Sorry. Are we at the top of the ladder yet? Have we climbed the ladder of abstraction? The first fruits principle would tell us this, that when we receive a good gift from the hand of a, a sovereign and loving God, the first gift, the first check we write is to further the kingdom of God. And you say, but... What if I write a check, Pastor, and I get to the end of the month and I don't have money for X, Y, Z? This is where we learn to trust God. Where I can tell you that that Doreen and I now have been married, be 25 years next October. Woo! Is is we, we have learned over the years the power of the first fruits principle. And it's not because we're any big deal. Frankly, I give my father the credit for teaching me the first fruits principle. Is you write a check. Whether it's one check or two checks, you decide, or four checks, as some would do. And then you ask God to provide for the rest. You ask God to take care of the the mortgage and the heat and the insurance and the credit cards and all the rest. You see, God has entrusted treasures to the people of God. And he expects us to be good stewards. And my prayer is that in the days ahead, that God would give each of us not only men and women, but boys and girls, young people, the ability and an inclination and the desire and the faithfulness to give of our first fruits. And I'm convinced of this. Something that surfaced to me over the last several months is that if we all did that, two things would happen. One is that we would never have budgetary problems again, but that's the least of our concerns. It says something about our hearts is when we say, God, you have given these good gifts to me and now I give back to further your kingdom. That means God is doing a transforming work in our hearts. And when God does a transforming work in our hearts, life, life gets really, really exciting. May God grant us the ability to be good stewards that glorify him with our treasures. Before I pray this morning, I want to invite uh, uh, Keith Cox, who is the chairman of the Financial Ministry Action Team, along with his team up 
I also want to invite uh, Jerry Toon, our vice chairman, and Steve Nims, the chairman of the Elder Council. I want to have uh, Keith introduce the members of the team to you and just give a brief uh, report on some of the things that have been accomplished over the last several months. It's really, really exciting. I'm not going to steal any of Keith's thunder. And then we're going to have uh, Steve and and Jerry uh, pray for this team. Thank you, Pastor. We're uh, still kind of scrambling to figure out uh, where we're going with this, but we have a, a good team of people that have been a uh, pleasure to work with. Um, I'm going to introduce somebody that's not here this morning. That's Beth Strutz. And so far, she's missed both the times we've had to make a public appearance. And she said she's going to try to continue to keep that trend going. So if you see her, give her a hard time. Tell her we... Uh, we so do you feel by, your, like, by yourself over there, Laura? Okay. <laughs> Laura, Laura Veldman uh, serves with us, and she's been good enough to take my sketchy notes and try to get them in readable forms. Dave Binner, you know, Jerry Toon, uh, Steve Nims. Um, we, we, we met Monday night, and I said goodbye to Steve after he'd been here for a couple hours doing administrative stuff, and, and he said he wasn't going to be able to make it that night. Forty-five minutes later, he's back through the room and back in the room, and I said, what in the world's going on? He said, well, I got this note at home that said, we have a meeting tonight, and I just got convicted, so he came back. So, <laughs> Mr. Mister, you can guilt Steve into anything. So, uh, Nathan Leibolt's been helping us with some writing. Todd White has been working with us uh, to uh, make sure we're not uh, talking too long and talking in the wrong areas. And uh, Gary Demmer, uh, you all know, and Galen has been great to kind of come along as an advisor. Uh, Bill Pritchard. And Mel Blankers is our uh, supervising elder and has been a, a real source of encouragement. There's three things. I'm going to stop just for a minute. Uh, Pastor Steele mentioned uh, Dr. Fong. How many of you remember Bruce Fong started his ministry here? So some of you, I don't know if you realize that, but yeah, that was back in the 70s, I think. So he's gone on to have an incredible ministry at Multnomah and uh, real deep impact. Three things that we want to share with you this morning that uh, are significant as we try to put together a plan. Uh, One thing that's exciting is that we don't really have to start from scratch. There is so much good stuff out there, and most of it is right here. Uh, But number one uh, would be that it must be built on the unchanging Word of God, preached faithfully, boldly, and unapologetically. Um, I don't know when a group like this has ever been handed the gift that we got the last three weeks when Dave is willing to stand up and to preach the way he has uh, in this regard. That's a great foundation from which uh, we can function. And we just, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank him for that personally. And uh, it makes such a difference when you have your leadership uh, committed and involved and supportive. Number two, would remember, it's not about money. It's about people's heart. Uh, We need to develop an understanding that there is a kingdom provision to meet the need. It's about God's perfect plan of providence to meet that need through the proper stewardship of his people. Uh, This should be a time of growth and faith building that stirs the heart and spirit. Number three, it must uh, focus on ministry, not money. Um, The money is a tool to get there. So it will be exciting to be talking with the other um, ministry action teams and finding out what their goals are and where we need to go. But this should should always be about the ministry. Money is the tool. It's the way we get there. Uh, And so it's important that we talk about it. uh, But but let's never lose focus of the ministry first. And uh, it's exciting for us to be able to work on this with you. We want to be your humble servants in this regard and want to be approachable and ultimately give God the glory.
Oh, there you go. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we come to you this morning with thanksgiving, and we thank you for all that you have given us, and we thank you, Lord, for all that you have sustained, or how you have sustained our church for all these years. Dear Father, we thank you for Keith and this ministry action team, as they have looked to you for wisdom and guidance in handling our church finances in the very best manner. We pray, dear Father, that some of their burden of their hard work be removed from them. And Lord, we'd like to see that burden be replaced with some gratitude from all of us for the work that they do. Dear Lord, have us be good stewards of all the gifts you give us. And we thank you for supplying our needs. And dear Father, we thank you for the joy and delight of your word in all this in the name of Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we, or I echo the words that were heard this morning from, from Pastor and uh, from Jerry's prayer, Father. But uh, uh, we just ask that you, uh, Holy Spirit, you, uh, you move in us, uh, move in our hearts, Father, that we can give joyfully, obediently, sacrificially and, and faithfully, Father, that uh, it's not a one-time gift, but it is ongoing for uh, for your purpose, Lord God, it's easy for us to give for the things we see here in the building, the lights, the heat, uh, the maintenance of this. And we've always given to maintain that, Lord God. But uh, as we move forward and you move in our hearts, uh, Lord, help us to give to the things we cannot see right now. And that is your plans for the ministries here at Christ Fellowship. There's so many things that are in the works. Uh, and as Keith said, that money is, is the tool. Uh, and it's not ours, Lord God. Everything that uh, is here is yours. And so we ask that you give us willing hearts to to follow in giving back for your kingdom, Father. Lord, I ask as well that uh, your spirit be with this team uh, as they lead uh, in how to properly steward that money, Father. Once the money is here for your ministry, help them and guide them uh, as we move forward into these opportunities for ministry that we may not have had in the past. Uh, we need wisdom. Uh, we need your guidance, Father. So we trust you. We thank you. We love you. And we look forward to what you have for us at Christ Fellowship. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>